Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into another episode of the New York Her Podcast presented by Visa. I'm your host, Olivia Landis. It looks a little different. As we all know, there are have been a couple of times this year where we have had to go just virtual because of COVID, and we are back in our home studios. So without further ado, this week, I am so excited to have guest Taylor Rook. She works for both Bleacher Report and Turner Sports. Taylor, I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you for joining me for the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I am excited as well. It seems so fun from everything that I have seen. So I am very happy to be here. Yes, thank you so much. <laughs> Taylor, I have been able to interview so many incredible women on this podcast. So I'm, I'm very glad that I can add you now to the list and we're able to have some discussions. You have such an incredible story, I think. I've been following you now on social media for a few years. and. Um, you know, you started out right out of college, able to be able to do what you love in the sports broadcast world. And you've made so many stops at CBS Sports, Big Ten Network, SNY. Mm -hmm. And now you landed at Bleach Report and Turner Sports, and we've been able to enjoy so, so much of your work. What first sparked your interest and love to start a pursuit in sports? Yeah, I mean, so many different things. I always tell, you know, everybody I'm I'm Southern. I'm from Georgia and I have a huge sports family. We all love football. So I grew up watching football. My dad played football in college. Um, my mom is a huge football fan. My sister goes to UGA. So we have been rooting for uh, the Bulldogs <laughs> like my entire life in Georgia. I am a big Falcons fan. Football has really been the heart and soul of everything that I have done. I love basketball, don't get me wrong, but football is really like my thing. So just being Southern and growing up around that, I have always loved it. And then when I went to college, you know, I wasn't entirely sure, like if I was going to pursue sports, if I'd be able to do it. But once I got there, I said like, this is what you love to do. This is what you wanna do. You have to dedicate so much time to it. So. That's what I did. I kind of just went full force on sports reporting, started a blog. I was doing videos all the time, all these different things just to really try and, you know, get my foot in the door whenever way I can. And um, it just kind of worked out. But I have just always loved sports and the stories behind sports and the athletes has been the thing that's been the most interesting to me. Well, something interesting that you said is you said you knew you had to go all in. You had to go all in and you had to put so much work into getting the opportunities that you have been awarded. Where did that passion come from? Where did that drive to just work your butt off come from? Because a lot of times, I'll say this to people oftentimes, you can teach talent and you can learn new skill sets, but you really cannot teach a work ethic. So where did that yeah. stem from? No, I agree. It's, you know, I always say like it, hard work really is a skill. Um, and that is a thing that some people I think just kind of innately have. And, but I think for me, the passion all honesty came from not wanting to be in some weird random market. Like when I was in school, the professor <laughs> would always talk about you start local, you know, you're in like Iowa, North Dakota, and then you work your way up. And I'm like, I cannot live in Iowa, North Dakota. I just can't do it. And so I just always knew I had to do something that separated me. And I wanted to get really good at certain things to be able to show, you know, prospective employers and just people in general that I could do this and could get this done. But one thing I always say, because I do think it's important, is so much of what has happened in my life was luck. 
Like, and I think that there's no shame in saying that people get lucky. You know, a lot of things fell in my favor. I happened to be in some rooms that worked out for me. I think it is so much more than hard work because a lot of people work so hard and still aren't at the place they necessarily want to be. I think it's a disservice to people who work hard to say everything that happened to me was because I was just so focused. A lot of it was right place, right time, but being uber prepared um, for the things when they came. Uh, so the hard work is, necess is like necessary. You have to work hard, but I think you also in some ways just, you have to be lucky too. I agree with that. And I think it's really cool that you acknowledge that because, you know, a lot of times people who do work hard and are given certain opportunities say that it does stem from hard work because I do believe <laughs> that, like you said, that's a skill set and you have to have that instilled in you. But yeah, luck is always part of the equation, even if it's just the littlest bit. Totally. It's part of the equation. It yeah. Really like is. sometimes I'm like, okay, if I, if both my parents didn't go to Illinois, like I wouldn't have gone to Illinois. Yeah. And then like maybe I wouldn't have had some opportunities that I had at Illinois or maybe I wasn't at the Illinois basketball game where the Big Ten Network executive producer was there and saw my broadcast. Like, so many things had to happen um, for me to just even land that first job. Sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, why did they let a 22 year old do live <laughs> TV every day? Like I look back on some of the tapes. I'm yeah. like, I feel like this was so bad. But love yeah. really does play a role. And I think a lot of it, too, is, you know, situations and also having an advocate, all of that stuff is really, you know, pivotal to just the trajectory of your life. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of your first stops post-college. You said you went to the University of Illinois because both mm -hmm. your parents were, were able to attend there. Uh, your first stops at Big Ten Network and CBS Sports. Mm -hmm. When you were able to do those type of things, how did they help prepare you for the next stop, which was at SNY, the Big Apple? How did those yeah. help prepare you in your career? Well, Big Ten Network definitely taught me about uh, preparation. Mm -hmm. um, it definitely taught me how to be like comfortable on camera. I was so fortunate to be able to watch hosts like Mike Hall and Rick Pizzo and Dave Revson, and I learned how to steer a show, how to command a show. I, I think at Big Ten Network, my big thing was learning by watching like i'm i was so young at the time there were so many things i was really bad at and just did not know how to do but i was so supported and had such good examples around me uh that that helped me i learned how to really have a niche you know i was only covering big 10 sports i had such a focus on college football and i learned that when you hone in on something you can get really really good at it and so i try to bring that to whatever stop it is even if it is an interview that i'm doing with one person i will become an expert in that person up until i have to interview them because i want to have as much information as possible and you know big 10 really showed me that I always say Big Ten is also a place that taught me to make sure you know the pronunciation of every single name before you go and do work. So whenever I do anything, I will run through pronunciations of names with my, my producer, even if it is the most simple name. Like if it is Eric Smith, I will say, is it Eric Smith? To make sure I have it right, because I never forget in the Big Ten Network, I had to say Ndamukong Sue, and obviously his first name is like hard, and I just butchered yeah. it. Um, and I, now I'm like, you know what? You need to make sure you have everything right before you go out there, because you don't want to mess up. You know, such a 
Big Ten Legends name on the Big Ten Network. So I think Big Ten Network allowed me to make some mistakes um, mm -hmm. and get better at the things I just wasn't great at. Uh, and that's critical too, to be able, I think coming fresh out of college and speaking from my own experience too, because I also um, majored in broadcast journalism. Where did you go to school? I went to Colorado State. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So I'm from Colorado. You, you're from Georgia, right? Born yeah. and raised. Uh, I'm from Colorado, so I was able to go okay. to Colorado State. Yeah. Nice. Denver? Um, so it's actually in Fort Collins. It's an hour north of uh, Denver. Denver. Okay, yeah. nice, nice. Have you been to Denver? Uh, once, once. A good friend of mine, one of my high school best friends, played for the Broncos. He's not there anymore, but oh, once we had all yeah. gone out there. Denver's a great place. Yeah, it's, it's so much fun. And Colorado State was amazing. I learned a lot there. And kind of reiterating what you said about you have to be able to make mistakes, especially when you're fresh out of college, because mm -hmm. I actually started with the Jets two months after I graduated. Back That's in great. Yeah. yeah, it's been absolutely incredible. But the great thing is they've, they've allowed me to make mistakes. And, and you have to be able to do that, I think, as a broadcaster and able to take those to be able to take those next steps. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that that is pivotal. And <clears throat> so I don't know why I have a frog in my throat, but That's okay. the, <laughs> the mistakes are pivotal because all the things that you mess up at, you're not gonna mess up on them again. Mm -hmm. And so every single time you make a mistake, even though it's bad in the moment, you're actually getting better. And so it's important to do that, you know, at these first jobs so that you know, wherever you go next, if you'd want to end up going somewhere next, you're better. Uh, so you got to make those mistakes. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And another part of this industry is finding your voice. When would you yes. say you were able to find it? Or have you found it yet? Is it still developing? Yeah, I, mean, I think that that really is just this constantly evolving journey. Um, because throughout my career, so many different things have moved me. And I think that's because what I feel like my voice is has, has also transformed through time. But I think one of the moments that I said, okay, this is, this is who I am. This is who I want to be in this space was probably when I began my podcast at SNY. Mm -hmm. Um, I realized that I felt like my purpose was really connecting with others and having long form, meaningful conversations with others. As much as I love being at the desk, I love anchoring and, and hosting and doing the highlights and reporting and all things like that. I really do love them. My true love and true fulfillment comes from bonding. Uh, and to me, that's what interviews are. Interviews are a way to bond with someone else. You have to be so bonded with that person that they want to open up to you, that they want to be truthful, you know, in their answers. They want to explore themselves through the conversation. If it's a serious thing or if it's not so serious thing, it really is about that relationship that you build with the person that you're interviewing within that 30 minutes or however long it is. So that's the thing that really fulfills me. And I think that through that, I found out, you know, kind of what my voice is. But like I said, maybe in a year, I'll feel like my voice is something different. I think that that's mm -hmm. progression and, and that's a part of it. I feel like I just have things that are fundamental to me that will never change. Um, but how those things manifest and how I bring them to the world, I think is a, is a constant, constantly moving vehicle. 
I'm so glad you said that because you transitioned transitioned us perfectly into what I wanted to talk about next. Mm-hmm. Um, your show, Take It There with Taylor Rooks, that you do with Bleacher Report. Yeah. You just talked about the importance of making the other person in an interview feel comfortable. That way they could feel like, I know this person, I can be honest with them. Yeah. How have you approached that? How do you personally approach each individual because everyone's different. So certain things make other people comfortable. How do you approach it? So, I mean, you're right. You know, you hit the nail on the head when you said everyone is different. I think that really is the key. Like one thing with my show that I would try to do is, you know, we do like an activity with the person. I find something that will make them feel comfortable. You know, Chris Paul, he loves bowling. So he wanted to go to a bowling alley with DeMar DeRozan. He loves shoe shopping. So we went shoe shopping, you know, Rudy Gobert said that one of the things that gives him peace is going on the walks, you know, in the mountains outside of his home. So that's what we did. And so I tried to, I think one of the biggest things and biggest keys to interviewing is environment. And mm-hmm. the more comfortable the person will feel, the more comfortable their answers will be. I actually do not like to do interviews in studios because when somebody enters a studio, they know they're being interviewed. And you just turn that's on true. this like, this part of you that like isn't what you'd be like if you weren't in the studio. Same thing with, you know, I don't necessarily love interviewing people when they can see their mic. Like if you have a mic in front of you, you also instinctively know you're being interviewed. So you begin to act like uh, you are being interviewed. And I just think it mm-hmm. kind of changes the dynamic and the feel um, of that interview. So environment is really important. Like I said, also research is important. I will scour people's Instagrams and Twitters. I will text or call people that they know to find out something about them. I will like watch all these interviews that they've done just to see if there's little nuggets in there. And I think when somebody feels like you want to know them, they're more open, you know, to letting you know them. Mm -hmm. Um, Also asking really direct questions is something that I always try to do uh, because I want to get really direct answers and all of that kind of just stacks, you know, on top of each other to create what is hopefully a good interview. But I think one thing I do this the same is I try to treat every person I interview, I try to treat that conversation like they're my best friend. Like I want to just ask them questions that I would ask somebody that I have known for years. Because if you Mm -hmm. approach it, like you're talking to somebody that you don't know, like you're probably not going to get the things that you want out of the interview. So that's I, that's what I think is that's worked for me as kind of the key to having, you know, somewhat a successful interview. I hope all the future broadcasters out there listening are taking notes because that's <laughs> really incredible advice. And it's a great way to look at it. it. I think it is because I think oftentimes when people do interviews, they look at people as, you know, the subject of the interview. And you're just trying yeah. to, you know, and I think you have to approach each person lo- just like that, like they're a person, they have their own interests, they have their own things that they think are important. So absolutely, what, you, what a really beautiful way to approach oh, your thank interviews. You. Thank yeah, you. I love that. Um, I've actually watched a lot of your series, Take It There with Taylor Rooks. I've seen many of your interviews. I'm curious, how did that idea come about? Was it something you you were passionate about and brought to the table or was it kind of presented to you? Yeah, I mean, all we just said was we want to give you a show where you interview people. And I was like, great. Um, So then we had to try and formulate, you know, what that looked like, what that felt like, um, you know, guests, talking points and, and, and things like that. But I really tried to keep it as simple as possible. I wanted it to just be two people talking and doing an activity. Um, and so as bare bones as that sounds, it just kind of expanded from there. 
Um, and yeah, yeah. So it was just, I wanted an environment where we could sit and have an actual conversation, but also still make it fun and light and whatever thing we were, we were doing so that it was still, you know, a very entertaining watch for, for the viewer as well. And also suiting it to the person like Tyler heroes in Miami, let's put him on a yacht. Like, you know, we tried to, we tried to do it in that way. <laughs> well, can you recall, I'm sure there are probably so many, but can you recall a specific moment or interview that really just maybe changed the way you looked at something or touched you in a really special way in your heart? Is there any type of interview you had during this series? Mm. I mean, I always tell people the Damar interview was my favorite just because I had never met Damar and yeah. it felt like the most like intimate interview. Um, mm -hmm. He he opened up about so many things that he hadn't before. And I learned so many things about him that I never knew. Mm -hmm. And I, hopefully the viewer did as well. So I always point to the DeMar episode. Um, I mean, it's so funny. I'm always like, they're all my favorites, but <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I learned something new about the, about somebody in every interview that I do. And I, I hope, you know, that's what you want for, every interview. I would never want the interview to just be, you know, a regurgitation of knowledge that we already know. I think just for the interviews that I watch, because I love watching, you know, Oprah interviews. I love watching Howard Stern interview. To me, those are two people that have really mastered the art of getting information out of a person. Mm -hmm. But what makes a good interview a good interview is that you learn something new. Um, and I think so often people get like these athletes or entertainers or public figures in front of them and they just ask questions that we've heard them answer so much uh but the really special interviews are the ones where you're like wow like i see this person differently i see them in a different light i learned something about them that changed the way i thought about them so i try my best to to get something new out of each person and they have all taught me and shown me uh different things well, really great approach, I think. I think that's a really great approach. If those of you listening, if you haven't seen it, go check out her Take It There um, with Taylor Rooks on Bleach Report. You can catch it on the website and the app and everything. I'd like to switch gears now. Um, you know, obviously, unfortunately, we're in a time right now with COVID. A lot of things have changed. One of those things that changed was the NBA. Way back a few months ago, um, you were able to be a part of history. You truly were. Hopefully the last time we ever have to do something like the NBA bubble. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> fingers crossed. <laughs> but nonetheless, it was a first. First time in history that they've ever done something like that. How much pride did you take in being able to be part of such an incredible experience? Um, I guess I, I keep telling people like that will easily be, I think, the most memorable thing I will do uh, in my career just because there was so few people that can say they were there, can tell you what it felt like, can tell you what it looked like, can tell you what we all went through. I always say it's like everybody in the bubble is kind of their own little fraternity because uh, mm -hmm. we really just experienced so many things all together. Um, obviously there was these players that are fighting for a championship in the midst of a pandemic, you know, in the midst of this racial reckoning that was happening across the country and everybody in that bubble was fighting, you know, for equality, for, you know, black and brown people. Everybody wanted to use their voice for their greater good. And so it was just a myriad of different things happening in Orlando and we were all right smack dab in the middle of it. And it was, just an unforgettable experience. I don't think anything would top it. And as 
I'm sure rocky it was at times. If they mm -hmm. said that we had to do another bubble tomorrow, I'd be like, all right, let's go. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool to hear. It really is. Um, you brought you brought up a point I wanted to touch on. You know, during that time, and obviously we've been going through it as a country, and it, it's still it is we're still going through it. But especially during the time of the NBA bubble, mm -hmm. a lot of racial tension in the world. The Black Lives Matter movement was put at the forefront of so many. Thankfully, so many sports organizations were finally able to, you know, come out and use their voices and they were able to, you know, have some of the players use their voices too. As a black woman in the midst of all of this, what did it mean to you to be able to tell some of these stories that were going on, not just surrounding basketball, but everything from the racial tension going on in this country? Yeah, you know, for me, I think that a lot of black journalists feel like we have a responsibility. I know I felt like I had a deep responsibility to be a person that they felt comfortable talking about their feelings with, but also understanding that yes, they are basketball players and they're here to do this job and everybody wants to know, are you gonna play? Are you gonna not play? What's the team talking about? Really a lot of them just feel a lot of emotions. A lot of them just want somebody to say, how are you doing? Like, do you feel like talking today? And I think that a lot of us, you know, whether it was me or Malika Andrews or Chris Haynes or Mark Spears, so many of, you know, the, the black people in that bubble just understood. Um, and it was important for us to be there to help tell the stories because for so long, it was mainly white men in these spaces trying to tell people what these black men felt about certain things. I just think that there is a different level of storytelling when you have a shared experience with the subject. Mm -hmm. So it's important to have this diversity of opinion, diversity in color, diversity of experience in these newsrooms and in spaces like the bubble because you want the story to be told, you know, I think as accurately and as true to the subject uh, as possible. And do you think from your experience, especially speaking to the NBA bubble, that there was a more of a diversity in opinions and people of different race and backgrounds than maybe totally. in the past? Yeah, That's, totally. I no, mean, so great. I was I was really happy. You know, I was around some of just the best journalists in the game. You know, there was so many great people there. You know, whether it was Sam Amick or Mark Stein or Rachel Nichols or you know Malika and Chris and Mark, like like I name, like just some of the absolute best were there. You know, Woj, Sham. So it was there were so many different people there that could tell the stories in their own special, important way. Um, all of them were unique, but all of them were a necessary piece of like, you know, the puzzle to create the, the entire picture. So for sure, the NBA, I think did obviously just an amazing job with the bubble. Uh, and then the communication yeah. staff just was, just was amazing. Oh, it's so, it's so great to hear. I know I can't speak for everybody, but I know that so many of us were so grateful to have people um, inside the bubble, journalists who are able to relate, like you said, to these players and tell these stories because totally. most of us weren't in the NBA bubble. So it was really <laughs> cool. It was really, really cool. Yeah, um, it was a long time. It was a lot of COVID tests. 
And everybody always says to me, they're like, oh, I've been tested like two times. I'm like, well, I was tested over 60 times. <laughs> and oh I have been tested a lot since the bubble. So. Yeah. You're like, so I don't want to hear it. Don't yeah. go there. <laughs> I know it's it's been quite I, I know it was quite the experience um yeah. we've had to do so much testing too but on that same note you were able after your experience you were able to write an article for GQ I know that you've um, put it on your social media and out there inside the great NBA bubble experiment how how cool was that for you to be able to have your own article in your own words from your own experience be on GQ really cool i mean just to like i have hard copies of the magazine and to first off so cool. see that give me a cover line like my article is you know on the covers and then to open up the magazine and see it in there with you know by taylor rooks is is really cool um also being able to write again was nice you know i started off writing when i was in college i, I did a lot of writing and i haven't done it since you know since i do so much stuff on air so to do that and get back to that roots was was really nice and also a way to you know tell these different anecdotes of players with the experience in the bubble to unearth some things that i didn't know was also really nice and i think writing as well people so often feel like women in this space, specifically women broadcasters in this space, all that they do is, you know, get on TV and talk. And they may it seem like that's easy. When I was, actually it's not. Very few mm -hmm. people can do the things that, that we do. Broadcasting on air is a difficult thing. But when it comes to women in the space, it is something that I think is sometimes looked down upon by, you know, this small conduit of people. So I think it was important for me to write as well to say that there are so many things that women in this space can do, whether it is, you know, be on TV or have a podcast or write an article in a Condé Nast publication. Like those are all things that we can do. And I really enjoyed that 5,500 word article. It was a week and a half of, I think, reporting and then I'll bunch of time actually writing it. There was this entire process that I feel like I learned so much doing, but it was, it's cool to just be able to kind of, you know, check that off the list. And I'm so happy and I just feel so proud and, you know, full of joy to see the the reception that it has, it has had and people really liking what they learned from it. And also more importantly, seeing the bubble in a different light and seeing some of the players mentioned in the article in a different light. So that was a really cool experience for me. And you said you were so proud and you should be incredibly proud, honestly. And yeah, yeah you, you've created, you know, like I said, with this podcast, it's so amazing for me to be able to talk to so many different women and hear everyone's experience and their journey and the mm -hmm. things they've accomplished. You're, you're still so young and in such a short amount of time, you've already accomplished so much in this industry by being a sideline reporter, hosting, being on multiple networks, having your own TV show, being part of history, and now being able to write about it. Um, just as a woman, woman to woman, thank you for being really a path paver 
you know, because I think oh, it's, that's it's so important. sweet. Thank you. Well, I was I yeah, was going to say to you, thank you for having a platform like this. I think it's really important. You are, you know, highlighting. You know, I've saw everybody that you've had on the show. You're highlighting some really pivotal and talented and amazing women on the show, and that's important. And I always say I am so inspired by every single woman that is in this space. So I'm inspired yes. by you doing this. I'm like, oh my gosh, we should all be doing more to really, you know, like think all of that yeah. is is really important. So thank you. Of course. Um, and that's, I think that's what's the most important part in this industry too, is you see women being so supportive of other women. And I actually had this conversation. Um, I believe, I don't want to misspeak, but I believe it was with Laura Oakman and how she said, you know, she's been doing this for so long and how back in the day, women weren't always supportive of women, you know, and it, a lot goes into that. A, a lot goes into that. And I think it's mainly because it was a competitive space we didn't always feel like we had a seat at the table. Um, you know, you even said it, there were a, a group of people that oftentimes look down on women being in this industry. So I think as we've been able to grow as individuals and be more part of this conversation, we're able to support one another, um, which has been incredible. I think that's Absolutely. so incredible to see, honestly. Yeah, I think that's one of the really cool things, you know, about, you know, being in, in the sports space is I think we all really want the other to excel. I think it helps yes. all of us. Like what men are never thinking like, oh my gosh, we can't both be on this show. Right. And I'm happy yes. that women are also saying this. Like if there is space here for all these men, there's more than a space here for all these women, you know, and yes. we are mm -hmm. a necessary part to, you know, for sports to thrive. So it's great yeah. that we all, you know, support each other and want each other to do so well. Absolutely. One more question before I let you go, Taylor. Okay, um, yeah. Very grateful for your time. Very grateful for your time. But um, we've talked about some pretty amazing things that you've accomplished in your career so far. And I have no doubt that you have a very long career ahead of you. What has been one of the most pivotal moments in your career? And maybe you can name a few, I'm not sure. But in your opinion, what's been one of the most pivotal moments in your career that's changed your mind about who you are and what you can accomplish as a woman in this industry. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I'm sure there, no, no, but it's a great question. I mean, I'm sure there are a few, but I think everything that always sticks out to me is like the transitions of my career, like the, the transition from college to big to network was a moment for me. The transition from big to network to SNY was another moment for me. The transition from SNY to big to uh, Bleach Report was another moment for me. And it's because of kind of the things that went into those transitions and how for every transition, my mind was in a different place. You know, like when I was college to big to network, first off, I didn't think I was gonna have a job. I didn't have a job for months. And I was about to move back home. Uh, mm -hmm. with my family because I didn't know what I was going to do when Big Ten Network just happened to call and say, you know, I know we spoke, we have this full-time position, we want you to come. So I was in a space there where for a minute I said, okay, is this for me? Am I going to be able to do this at a high level? And so once I got it, I learned, okay, yes, you absolutely can do it. And so I was there for two years. I was I was, you know, a correspondent on the show and that was great. I love my time at Big Ten Network. I love the people there. But after two years, I had this kind of different itch, which was I want to do more. I want more responsibility. I want to use my voice. I want to talk about my opinions. I really want to be able to speak at length about things that I care deeply about. And so once I saw that SNY wanted to give me these responsibilities of hosting, reporting, 
anchoring and then soon to be a podcast. That was a transition for me where I said, okay, not only can I do this, you know, I can do more than this. And so I got to mm-hmm. SOI and I wanted to really excel at those things. I learned that I could command a show. I learned that I could really lead a panel. I learned that I could, you know, be on, you know, the the kind of staple program at length and be really good at it. Eventually they gave me these spots where I had these 60 second commentaries where I could talk about whatever I felt passionate about and whatever felt important. And I did that. And then I said, okay, well, I want to start this podcast. I started the podcast and then that had some success. And I started to get a different itch, which was, okay, what I want to do is talk to people. And so mm-hmm. then I went through a different transition, which was I love SNY. I love the people here at SNY, but I don't feel fulfilled. So mm-hmm. I tried to follow the thing that fulfilled me, which was Bleacher Report and the own show and my own show. So I have just learned so much in that middle area. Um, and all of those, I think for me, have served as these really pivotal benchmarks to what I want to do ultimately in my life, what I want my work to feel like, what I you know, what I just ultimately want every goal of mine to be. And like I said, I think that that changes, but those very in-between stages for me have when I, or when I have felt uh, the most growth, if that makes sense. No, it makes, it really does makes complete sense because at every different stage of your life, well, everyone's life, you know, you, you need different things. I liked the word you use fulfillment. You know, you wanted to excel at each task you were given. And then when you realized you could do those things, you felt like you, you wanted to feel more fulfillment. So um, just an incredible conversation, Taylor. Thank you so much. I really no, appreciate thank you. your time. Absolutely. Thank you yeah. for having me. You were, you were fantastic. I'm happy I was able to come on. Yeah, it was so incredible to be able to talk to you. Taylor Rooks, everybody, with Bleach Report and Turner Sports. You can catch her stuff really everywhere, online. You can see her on the TV, on live. You can see her on her Instagram. Go follow her, Taylor Rooks. But thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of the New York Her Podcast presented by Visa. I Each and every single week, I have so much fun talking to these women. So thankful for the time that they always give me but thankful for you listeners as well please subscribe rate and share the podcast we'll see you next time